Today, we are talking about a movie from 1984. A movie about a group of kids who took over the city of Gatlin, Nebraska. A story of corn. Children of the corn. No adult will survive the one who walks behind the rows. craziness happened so we were prepping researching getting ready to record and tornadoes tornadoes happened here in waterford michigan a tornado touched down less than eight minutes from our location just a couple miles down the road luckily everybody's safe nobody seems to have major damage just trees and Maybe some power outage, but um, our amazing neighbors called and had us come over. We had a teenager, we had four adults, we had hamsters, cat, dog. We had the whole clan over there. <laughs> Thankfully, they yeah they let us uh, come in their basement, turned on Twister, getting the spirit of things. Had a little humor in it. <laughs> yep. But yeah, that was a uh, that was wild before. What was not what we were expecting before tonight's podcast recording. Not at all. <laughs> but again, everybody's safe. So on that note, we get to continue sharing our story with you. Yeah, for children of the corn, we're sipping on a nice cool glass of semi-sweet cherry wine from the Bavarian Inn Collection, which was actually graciously donated to us by Charlotte and Lorenzo Lentini, so thank you for that. Much appreciated. Yes. So yeah, children of the corn, uh, we're going to be touching on short story, the first movie, the second movie, some fun facts, behind the scenes type of stuff that you guys want to hear about. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. The first movie was released in 1984, and the second one was released in 92. Um, we're just gonna be talking about those two movies today. There's like a whole bunch of movies, um, but we kind of just focused on the first two for this. So in the first movie, The Children of the Corn, um, the original one, it starred Peter Horton, Linda Hamilton, who was in the Terminator franchise, John Franklin, who was in the Adams Family franchise, and Courtney Gaines, uh, who was in Can't Buy Me Love and Back to the Future. The movie was directed by Fritz Kirsch from a screenplay written by George Goldsmith. The film was based on the Stephen King short story, um, so the film centers around a young couple traveling across country that unfortunately encounter a religious cult of children that believe that all adults must be killed. <laughs> So, Children of the Corn is definitely one of the most iconic of rural horror movies. It's based off of, like I said, Stephen King's short story, which was also called Children of the Corn. And, yeah, this tale's just about a bunch of crazy cult children in Nebraska, Corn Town, who join together and kill all of the adults that live there under the direction of a child preacher named Isaac. They worship an evil corn god called He Who Walks Behind the Rows. And as the story progresses, an out-of-town couple on a road trip end up in this lunatic town run by the children. So, the original film, it took in over $14 million box office. Now, they only budgeted the whole thing for $800,000. So, Dang. hello profit. Seriously. As of sequels, they are still being made today. There are nine so far, but from what we have read, that they want to finish it with ten. However, there is no undetermined date or time when the last one will be released. Yes. So, like we said, um... The beginning of this whole 
ginormous franchise began with Stephen King and his famous short story, The Children of the Corn. Um, it is a radical religious cult of young children that like obsessively serve the supernatural dark entity who is known as He Who Walks Behind the Rose. The original short story gives kind of like the greatest amount of detail and like the base of the story as a whole. It's in Gatlin, Nebraska. It was just another rural farming town until August of 1964. There had been a drought and a series of bad harvests, which in turn made the already difficult life of a poor farming town pretty much impossible and unlivable. So this caused an unknown leader to incite the children of Gatlin to revolt against the adults of the town. The revolt happened really, really quick, and it was very brutal. Not one adult resident of the town Gatlin survived. The Gatlin police chief and the minister of the Grace Baptist Church were implied to have survived the longest and managed to at least come close to escaping. The children were unable to stop them, so the dark entity they called, again, he who walks behind a rose, killed them himself. The blue man and the false minister, as their name, were crucified and they were left in an open space in the endless rows of the cornfield surrounding the town and they remained there for 12 years. The children who were guided by their um, seer, which was the child chosen to lead them as the speaker for he who walks behind the rose, they made a number of drastic changes to life in Gatlin after they murdered all of the adults in it. Um, the changes were that the, electri the electricity and all conveniences using it was shunned. Alcohol was banned and devices dispensing it, like beer taps in the local diner, were destroyed. Um, a quote says, Make no music except with human tongue, saith the Lord God. So with this, the pipe organ in the local church was destroyed and its keys were like ripped up and its pipes were stuffed with corn husks. Another thing was anything making use of an internal combustion engine was um, abandoned. And the former Grace Baptist Church was cared for inside and out and houses in use and farming structures were maintained. However, all other buildings were abandoned. In their New Testament, um, it was chopped out of any Bibles with scissors, and the children alive before the uprising without given names from the Old Testament changed their names, and the first children born afterward in 1965 were given acceptable names at birth. So, like, the first boy was named Adam, the first girl Eve. An age of favor was established, uh, so at the command of he who walks behind the rose, children walked into the rose at night on their 19th birthday, never to be seen again. And the last change that they made was signs and postings indicating the date were disregarded, but letters and numbers were updated to show the date on the signboard of the church. So once the children had secured full control of Gatlin, they got rid of all contact of the outside world. At some unknown point, the electricity went off, the phone lines went dead, or they were cut, and the children lived without any contact with or from the outside world for 12 years. That changed, however, when outsiders Bert Stanton and Dickie Baxter came into the town late in the summer of 1976. After running over a boy who tried to flee the town, Joseph, he was renamed afterward by the children as Hazah, uh, Curse of God. A couple reluctantly decided to head to the nearest town to turn the body and report his murder because his throat had been cut and by an unknown person before he ever even got hit by the car, which was Bert Thunderbird. The couple arrived in Gatlin and noticed how silent and deserted it was. And after briefly exploring the town, they stopped at the former Grace Baptist Church, 
Bert brushed off Vicky's panic and went inside where he found the church's amended Bible, a destroyed pipe organ, and a demonic painting of Christ, his eyes showing a sinner burning into a lake of fire. Probably should have listened to Vicky. Just going to put that out there. Yeah. Always listen to your woman, fellas. Multiple times. She's like, Yeah. (laughs) So the children end up attacking Bert um, as he came outside the church. Vicky was hauled out and dragged away to a clearing in the corn where her eyes were ripped out as she was put up on the cross beside the skeleton or the skeletal remains of the Gatlin police chief and the minister of the former Grace Baptist Church. Yeah, Bert ran for his life into the corn with the children chasing behind him. Um, He managed to outrun them until it was nighttime. Uh, and they ended up just giving up and going home. <laughs> um, the cur- the corn was holy ground, and even the most innocent children, you know, they dared to even enter it after dark because it was like, that was a big no-no. Bert, however, stayed in the corn. Um, he was thinking that it offered him, offered him safety, like, you know, just an easy place to hide. Uh, he soon discovered how wrong he was, though, and very quickly saw he who walks behind the rose after discovering his wife's body in the clearing. So, angered that his followers had failed him, he who walks behind the rose directed the nine-year-old seer, whose name was Isaac Croner, um, to issue a command when the children gathered in the clearing the next day where Bert's body had joined the other three on a cross of his own. As they had failed to kill Bert and allowed him to defile holy ground by staying there during the nighttime, the children were punished with the lowering of the age of favor, meaning the age that they had to die. Um, It was originally 19 years old, and because they failed him, he lowered it to 18 years old. So all of the 18-year-olds walked into the corn that night. Um, Among them was Malachi Boardman, who was an expecting father, having gotten his girlfriend or wife Ruth uh, pregnant several months ago. Ruth wished to destroy the corn, um, but did not because she knew that nothing in Gatlin escaped uh, he who walks behind the rose. Life continued on in Gatlin, much as it had before the arrival of the intruders, and the children continued to live in obedience to the laws of he who walks behind the rose in return for his favor, guidance, and protection as he made them believe. Wow. Now, the first film, Children of the Corn, was most successful out of all of the movies. As they usually are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I'm going to be honest, we did not watch all nine of them. No. But we did the first two. We don't got time for all the all the nine ones. Maybe as time goes on, but... <laughs> we'll catch up eventually. Yeah. After the graphics of the first two, I had to slow down. (laughs) They were too crazy for our eyes. (laughs) Okay, so now on to the movie. The plot is very similar to King's short story, with some tweaks and differences here and there, but a lot more content, of course. And the film also is located in Gatlin, Nebraska, which is a town surrounded by a sea of cornfields. After a drought caused the year's corn crop to fail the town, it turns to prayer for hope of recovery. 12-year-old Isaac Croner gathered the local children to the corn, where he began to convert them into following not the God of the Christian Bible, but a darker, bloodthirsty one who is called He Who Walks Behind the Road. Just after Sunday service ended at the local Christian church, all the children had gone with Isaac to the cornfield. He had launched a violent, revolutionary killing every adult in town as human sacrifices to their God. After that day, one of the little girls, Sarah, she began drawing scary, anonymous pictures in crayon, and all the children, under Isaac's direction, abandoned or destroyed all modern devices and conveniences and severed all contact with the outside world. 
The town then existed in total isolation for the next three years. Yeah, so then it kind of jumps scenes. Um, and same as the short story, there's a couple, Bert and Vicky, and they're on their way to Seattle. Um, they are passing through the town and just like in the cor corn rows, that's all they see. But Bert's car hits a person. It happens to be one of the children, Joseph, um, who we see he's trying to escape the town through the corn. As Isaac said in a sermon like later that day, he said, Joseph has taken his things and fled this happy place because the worship of me is no longer upon him. So take you his life and spill his blood, but let not the flesh pollute the corn, cast him instead upon the road. So Malachi, the strongest and let's be honest, the craziest of his followers, uh, he followed Joseph, who was running away and ended up slitting his throat. And this caused Joshua to, you know, just keep running into the road and he got hit by Bert's car. So Bert and Vicky see that Joshua's throat was already slit before they hit him. So, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, we have to do something about this. Uh, they briefly met with like an elderly mechanic as they arrived at the edge of town, um, just asking for a phone or any indication of where they should go. Uh, but he informed them. And as he quotes, he said, folks in Gatlin got religion and that they would not have a phone to call the police with, nor would they be at all willing to help. So the man also failed to mention to them that children had actually spared him from the slaughter three years ago. Um, he was running his gas station and providing fuel to them as needed in exchange for them letting him keep his life. Which, like, I'm sorry, rude, why would you not tell them that? Um, but Burke and Vicky kind of shrugged the man off just as being kind of like senile um, and kind of going back and forth for what seemed like hours trying to found, find this town that the man was telling them to go to. They just kept seeing Gatlin signs. And so they're like, screw it. Let's just drive into the town of Gatlin. Uh, and soon after they arrived there, Malachi got there and where the elderly man was and he broke the pack with the mechanic and he killed him and his dog again why do they always kill the dog i don't know but i don't like it no but what i do like was in the scene where the old man's talking to the dog and he's like this is becoming a how did he word it this is becoming a freeway a quite the freeway this is the third car in a month that's come by yeah like it's so popping there. <laughs> yeah, it was just that kind of a chuckle. <laughs> so meanwhile, after the couple began searching the silent town, Vicky was captured by the children, and Bert was forced into hiding with two of the children, Je Job and Sarah, who were the sweetest, most innocent characters out of the children. Oh my God, that little girl was so cute. Oh my God. Her little her long smile. Yes. Oh, I know. Yes. And Job, he had quite the personality. He was quite the little man. I know, so cute. strong. Way braver than me. <laughs> so Isaac was pissed that Malachi, for not carrying out his commands of getting Bert, and began to curse him. But Malachi then decided to create his own group and system in response and took over. Isaac furiously warned that the children had now broke their contact with he who walks behind the rose and would be severely punished. But Malachi refused to listen. He pursued his own agenda and decided to offer Isaac up instead of Vicky. Malachi's leadership of the children lasted less than one full day. Bert, Job, Sarah, and Sarah freed Vicky and the cornfields on the fire with intention to destroy and banish he who walks behind the rose. Before this happened, however, he claimed Isaac resurrected him and then used him to kill Malachi by breaking his neck. All of this was happening. The children all ran to the four winds of the corners 
burned, and Burr and Vicky escaped in the fields of the town of Gatlin with Job and Sarah. Yeah. C- crazy. I, I mean... So that was uh, a scene from the first one, and it's a pretty popular one. And whenever I'm in the deserted traveling, that's kind of like a. Did you just call it Outlander? Did I? No, you said whenever you're in a deserted area. I, so I said you call out Outlander. Oh, I thought you said did I? Okay. <laughs> okay, for ghosts, we just had a moment. Yes. Um, a lot of times if we're driving, like, I don't know, Ohio, for example, and it's, like, nothing but corn um, with the kids in the backseat, I'll just start randomly yelling, Outlander. Outlander! <laughs> I don't think a lot of times my family gets the humor, but I laugh. If I'm ever driving through a cornfield with you, you can definitely say Outlander, and I promise I'll laugh. <laughs> we just got back from Sagatop. I know, missed opportunity. We did just get back from a road trip. Uh, We were on vacation. Just for a short time, we made it back to keep the show going, so Mm -hmm. we're good, we're good. But when we were driving, at one point, I did look at you and say, he who walks behind the rose. You did, that is true. We were in a very uh, fieldy part of of the state. (laughs) But, uh, so, Children of the Corn 2. So we watched the movie, and it obviously is the sequel to the first one, and was released in 1992. So the beginning of the movie picks up pretty much right after the first one ends. They're kind of cleaning up all the the dead adults throughout the the neighborhood, and um, there's actually creepy but funny in a roundabout way so the beginning of this movie they're in Hemford Hemingford which was where Bert and Vicky headed to at the end of the first movie to alert them about the killings and it opens up to a scene with crime scenes and adults murdered throughout the whole town the people of Hemingford then decided to adopt the surviving children. Okay, no. They all killed their parents. I know. I'm not taking one home with me. One of the ladies was like, oh, but think about all the children have been through. I'm like, girl, they murderers. (laughs) Yeah. And as the movie goes on, the old lady was perfectly right for saying no. Anyway rant yeah so no not about the take-home children who just killed their parents stupid (laughs) (laughs) so um unfortunately though for these nice people who take in these murderous children the kids return to the cornfield to where one of the cult members micaiah it's just micah micah is possessed by a demon and who was sent by he who walks behind the rose. That which, fucker. <laughs> which was the same demon that the cult worships from the first film. They always find a way to come back. I know, they never stop. I wish I had that determination. <laughs> there are a lot of reporters and news workers staying in the city of Hemingford to further the investigate and figure out, like, what happened and why Gatlin has left behind, or what left behind from it. The main reporter investigating the story is John Garrett and his son, Danny, who were also, see, we see them arguing about the split of the parents and 
you know, son doesn't want to be with dad. Dad doesn't really want to be with son, to be honest. Um, but neither of them, one of them want to be in this city. But here they are. Yeah. And while John is there, he runs into two of his former co-workers, Bobby Knight and fellow reporter Wade McKenzie. Um, they're actually on their way out of town. Um, and shortly after we see them kind of talking to John, uh, we see them get killed in a nearby cornfield after taking a shortcut in their van. A mysterious, powerful storm that lasts only a couple of minutes causes the corn stalks, um, which are surprisingly sharp, by the way, to kill the two men. One gets his throat slit by the cornstalk, and the other one was kind of like the final destination scene with like the timber pieces flying through the windshield, except in this case it was cornstalks flying through and stabbing him. Um, anyways, after they die, it kind of cuts back into the town, and John meets the bed and breakfast owner uh, named Angela Casual. What a last name. And they then become, they become like a thing. They start up uh, this relationship, I guess you'd say. Um, and his son Danny is trying to distance himself from his dad. He becomes friends with an orphaned local girl named Lacey, who starts to like kind of get him in on the info, telling him some of the crazy and disturbing details about Gatlin and kind of everything that went down there. Yeah, and she uh, seems to be normalized. She does not look the the crazies she kind of distanced doing her own thing yeah somehow she surpassed their group yeah since isaac is gone from the first movie and the children then of course need a new leader to look up to so a kid named micah gets possessed and he takes on that role micah and the other children first murder local woman ruby burke by sabotaging a hydraulic hy yeah like the hydraulic jacks that support her house no prep <laughs> um unfortunately she's under it yeah <laughs> so um the woman she was she was very against uh the children of gatlin coming to the town she actually said she was gonna take her house with her when she left getting out of there so uh while she's underneath it and she, it it's causing to causing it to descend and then it hang on i'm screwing this all up. <laughs> you're good <laughs> what's the time since isaac is gone from the first movie the children then of course need a new leader to look up to so a kid named Micah gets possessed and takes on that role. Micah and the other children first murder the local woman, Ruby Burke, by sabotaging the hydraulic jacks, supporting her house while she's underneath it. It's causing it to descend and it crushes her. And this woman was very against the children of Gatlin coming to their town the entire time and she was even planning on moving away too and I quote I'm leaving and I'm taking my house with me she was determined she was taking the whole house I don't know how she was doing it but she was doing it she had it up on jacks and she was ready to go <laughs> if it wasn't for that dang cat getting underneath her house I know sorry but cats get a name for <laughs> I know not, not all of them though I do like cats <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I kind of felt bad because she knew all along like I'm leaving these people are bad something bad's gonna happen and she just did not escape in time I know like they couldn't just spare her and let her leave she was leaving anyways I know I know you evil. even said that during the movie <laughs> I know I'm very passionate about that evil children what the heck uh, oh and they killed the cat you could hear it. I, oh, yeah, I know. I kind of, I kind of cringed at that part when you could hear its bones. Like, another freaking animal murder? Are you serious? And she hasn't even watched that. So. Oh, upset. 
So Micah then goes, kills another person in town, David Simpson, during the church service with a knife and a wooden voodoo doll, which causes him to bleed to death from his nose. Like, did he just have this voodoo doll on hand? Did he make it? Like, he just whipped it out of nowhere. I was like, oh, okay. He was left over from the first one when the kids brought it over. Weird stuff, man. (laughs) But for his reporting, John then starts to question the town's doctor about, like, what the heck is going on. But the doctor kind of acts super weird, and he asks John to leave. And the doctor is later stabbed to death in his office by the children. This part was, like, sad to me, like, kind of gross, too, because they were, like, all surrounding him and stabbing him with different needles, like, before they ultimately killed him by stabbing him in the chest with a knife. But it's like, did you have to do the needles, too, to, like, torture the man? (laughs) But, yeah, Micah and the children then also later kill Mrs. Burke's sister, Mrs. West, um, they kill her in the road, and they make it look like she was just struck by a car. Like, they make it look like a total accident. But they actually had, like, a toy car remote controller, and it took control over her wheelchair. I don't know really how they did that, but they're weird, magical voodoo children, so I guess they can do anything. They pushed her out into the traffic, and, like, this lady was screaming for help. She was screaming for help, and there were a bunch of people around, but nobody did anything. They kind of just, like, stared at her. It was very odd. Yeah, they show a scene of people in the dining, reading their newspapers, drinking their coffee. I'm like, you can hear that. I know you can hear that. Like, she was screaming at the top of her lungs. Yeah. People just kind of were like, huh. <laughs> and even the truck. Like, it's, like, coming, coming, coming. And she's... At a standstill, still coming on the road, and then all of a sudden beep and then smash. Like he had plenty of to stop. Yeah, and he saw her. He was beeping. So unless he was possessed too, I don't know. Yeah, that part kind of was didn't fully check out. Yeah. So here's the plot twist in the story. John partners with a guy named Frank Redbear who is a professor at a nearby university, just kind of to piece together everything and figure out, like, what the F is going on. They discover that certain residents in this town are selling spoiled corn from the previous year's harvest along with the new crop. So growing on the spoiled corn is like a dark green acidic toxin, which they believe is filling the town's air and making the children in the town have like these delusions making them emotions emotionless and violent um while they're kind of looking at all this acid and corn and piecing everything together the sheriff finds them and discovers them spying on the site and like also the dead doctor's um site and all of his stuff he misleads them and then he ultimately ties them up and tries to kill them with a corn harvester Um, But they do end up managing to escape. The sheriff and the rest of Hemingford adults hold an emergency town meeting to discuss everything going on. But the children lock themselves inside and set the building on fire, which kills them all. Spoiler alert. The children then kidnap Angela and Lacey and take them out to the cornfield where they tried to get Danny to join them in sacrificing Lacey by pretty much pressuring him into doing it. John and Frank arrive just in time before they kill the two girls, driving the harvester into the field where they're at. Now, one of the children shoots Frank with an arrow, wounding him, but thankfully not killing him. And Danny and John free Lacey and Angela and attempt to escape, but then Micah, And the other children surrounding them begin using weapons um, to, I guess they're attempting to stop the harness, the harvester. And uh, the he who walks behind the rose until Frank restarts the harvest, pulling Micah's body back into it, killing him, basically shredding his body as he's being pulled into face transforms 
bursts into the demon that possessed him, then back to himself. Danny runs to help him, but it's too late. The rest of the children run away in fear, and Danny, Angela, Lacey, and John leave the clearing. Yeah, I kind of felt bad because he turned back to normal like right before he died. I know. He was the one who had to like feel all that pain. Yeah. Like, not the demon that was inside of him. It's like, yeah. And you could see the look on his face. It was sad. It is so sad. Because he, he was possessed. He really couldn't help it. But John and Danny, at the end of the movie, make up and kind of start to repair their relationship as they burn Frank's body and just try to give him a proper funeral before they, Angela and Lacey, drive off together, kind of assuming that they're returning back to the city um and then at the end of the movie like which is at an unspecified time uh it's actually revealed that frank's spirit has become the protector of Hemingford. so kind of a pleasant ending i guess to a really brutal 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 murder story <laughs> yeah again at least uh, there are some survivors yeah i mean i guess there has to be so i can keep making more keep making 10 movies (laughs) but yeah we came up with a list of like just some fun facts and behind the scenes stuff um behind these movies so though the real so they had like real corn that was used for most of the filming but polyurethane corn which is like a fast drying water-based clear coating it had to be used for like the more difficult action sequences so when crazy stuff's going down in these movies all the corn you see is not actually really corn. <laughs> and are there any Bible experts out there? Because the Old Testament, there's like a tagline for the movie, which I'm sure if you are familiar with the movie, you know. Um, and a child shall lead them. So that comes from Isaiah 11:6 in the Old Testament, which reads, And the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. So kind of just hand in hand with the whole children in power type situation, I guess, going on throughout these movies. So R.G. Armstrong, who played Deal, actually filmed all of his scenes in just one day, which is crazy because I feel like. Well, I know nothing about filmmaking, but I would assume (laughs) that it takes, like, a long time. (laughs) Uh, Another fact is that the song Disciples of the Watch by the American Trash, excuse me, American Thrash Metal Band Testament, it was inspired by this film, so if you don't know that song, go check it out. Fritz Kirsch, who was the director of The Children of the Corn, he was approached in L.A. in the 1980s while enjoying a successful career like making commercials when a colleague at a film production studio asked if he'd like to make a movie based off of a script written by Stephen King. Hint, hint, it's Children of the Corn. I know. Uh, So Kirsch and his partner took a meeting with the studio and after which they were offered the gig. Uh, A quote from him is, we thought, this is the way Hollywood works. You talk to people for 45 minutes and they give you an opportunity to make a film. Makes it sound so easy. (laughs) And by the next week, they were flying to Iowa to scout locations. And that's how uh, Fritz, who was not especially a fan of horror or of Stephen King, he became the director of Children of the Corn. He was also trying to make a B-movie. So the Stephen King script was originally snatched up by a man named Hal Roach and his studios, which kind of was best known for producing The Little Rascals. Um, they then split the production costs with New World Pictures, um, a rebooted version of a company started by B-movie king Roger Corman. And it was not huge Academy Award dramatic moments, says Kirsch. It was more honoring like the style of those types of films that followed it. So obviously there's an evil corn god that in this story is not really defined other than just like being large and weird and scary. And in the movie, it is an unseen creature like burrowing furiously through the earth. And that effect was actually put together with a clever idea and like different agricultural tools. Kirsch says that um, 
they dug and made a track and turned a wheelbarrow upside down and dragged the wheelbarrow with a cable tied to a tractor. So kind of like a roller coaster car, it followed the track and went up and down the hills and valleys of the track, pushing dirt up and down as it went. Uh, Kirsch wanted to create the fear that like the monster was everywhere, like even in the earth. So for him, he said it's kind of like the fantasy and idea of being a child living without adults. And he has people coming back to the story even generations later. He intended the movie to be kind of a cautionary tale about the danger of dogma. Although over the years, he's been very uneasy to find that a lot of young people who watched the film misinterpreted the message like completely. He like says that he got letters written in red ink in like a long spiraling sentence from the center of the page to the outside of the page asking me for something. It says, telling me that they believed what I believe, which is to do evil to people. I mean, letters that when you read them, you don't even want to hold them. You just drop them because they're so spooky. Like, man, people are just like into some crazy stuff out there. (laughs) But can I say, um, you know, the Little Rascals movie? Yeah. There wasn't many parents in there. But I'm glad it was at least a happy film. A cute uh, group of kids. Glad they went the other way. Yeah, yeah. Much more positive spin on the lack of parents around. <laughs> the dog survived that one. Yes! Even better ending for that, too. <laughs> so that another interesting fact is that some Boy Scouts actually had a hand in the special effects for Children of the Corn. Uh, This guy named Wayne Buchamp, he was a special effects artist. He used the help of local Boy Scouts to dig a trench for his contraption for He Who Walks Behind the Rose, that whole wheelbarrow thing I kind of talked about a minute ago. Um, And in exchange for their help, the Boy Scouts got to to see the behind the scenes of how special effects were made, which back then... If you watch the movies, the special effects are very different from how they are today. (laughs) Um, Also, um, not all the actors who played children in the religious cult were under the age of 18. So, like, Isaac, who was the cult leader, in the film, he's a teenager. They don't really say exactly how old he is. Um, But in real life, the actor that played him... His name was John Franklin. He was actually 24 years old, which is crazy because he looks so young. I know. He actually went on also to be Cousin It in the Adams Family. Now. Iconic. You probably wouldn't have noticed because he was like a big furball running around. But I thought that was neat because I never knew that. Yeah. Uh, The 36th anniversary just happened for Children of the Corn. Um, they just came out with a new Blu-ray transfer, so check it out. Um, I mean, I'm sure the graphics in HD are <laughs> much more superb. <laughs> so, driving in the beginning of the movie, um, Bert and Vicky's in their Buick. You can see, but you got to be quick because I noticed there's Stephen King's Night Shift book. On the front dash, and you can clearly see it, but then the next scene or so, it's just gone. It's a box of tissues instead. But uh, that's a little uh, fun fact for you. I wonder if they did that on purpose. Oh, I'm sure they do. Stephen King has a lot of crossover. Little, like. Yeah, um... usually he's in one of his movies as an extra summer, although. I didn't pay attention super, super hard, but I don't remember him being an extra. Yeah. Huh. If you didn't already know, Night Shift is a collection of a series written by King, and it was published in 1978. Moreover, the story of Children of the Corn was featured in Night Shift, but then uh, they turned the script, made it adaptation, and then it... um, it was ditched in favor for more of a screenplay, and it was written by George Gold. 
Now, here's the head-scratching detail for everyone, if you missed it. In the original trailer for uh, Children of the Corn, this is unthinkable, but Stephen King, they spelled his name S-T-E-V-E-N, and uh, he's spelt it, he spelt it. He spells it S-T-E-P-H-E-N. Whoever wrote that got fired. <laughs> yeah, and it's like Carrie had already been published. The Shining had already been out. So it was kind of like he had big deals already. Oh, my God. That's some shit I would do if I was the person writing <laughs> on the trailer. Because I'm so like, I just misspell things all the time. So I... I feel for the person who did that, but, like, that is a huge no-no. <laughs> Hopefully Stephen had a little humor and, you know. Laughed it off. <laughs> so, in the same year that Linda Hamilton um, did Children of the Corn, she was also in the Terminator franchise. And she made a pretty eerie reference to her iconic role as Sarah O'Connor um, in children of the corn um so she walks into the room and she sees a little girl playing and she bends down you know and she says hi what's your name and the little girl says sarah and she's like sarah that's a beautiful name (laughs) so um that was taken as a a little bit of a (laughs) moment in there a little hint hint a little inside joke so the town of Hemingford is also in the story of The Stand, um, which again is used in Children of the Corn as another crossover in case you people didn't catch it. Um, let's see. And then according to an interview with Morbidly Beautiful, Gaines admitted that he won the part of Malachi. Now this is crazy. By going to the extreme lengths with his film dialect, um, coach Jeff Goldberg, Gaines pulled a fake knife on him, held it directly underneath his throat until he was audibly shaken. Gaines says that was what sealed the deal. Wow, way to commit. (laughs) I know. As if he wasn't scary enough. Aside from a few highway shots in California, Children of the Corn, the whole movie was filmed in Iowa. Um, the cities of, yeah, Six City or? I think Sioux. Sioux City. Yeah. Whiting, Hornick, and Salick. Um, but those are all just uh, the unofficial corn capitals of the country. <laughs> But it had a lot of flat land, so there was, like, no way of telling the difference between Nebraska and Iowa. Yeah, cornfield to cornfield. <laughs> um, in Stephen King's original version, Burr is immediately slaughtered when he walks behind the rose and stumbles upon Vicky's slain corpse. As for Vicky, her demise um, at the hands of the sinister sinister children before joining the blue man on the crucifix her eyes are gouged out um that was all changed for the film for whatever reason um they thought the audience would be more appreciative for a happy ending so in the final cut bert and vicky get to escape and they got to take the two kids because that was cute. a much happier ending so sarah and job got a home i know Way happier. And I think it kind of helped roll into the next movie because they were the ones who alerted the town of, like, all the crazy stuff that was going down there. (laughs) But, yeah, this is a wild franchise. It is. And I think about it every time I pass a a cornfield. Like, murderous children. (laughs) So, unless you're uh, 18, you're not going to make it in Iowa. Never go to Iowa, note to self. (laughs) Or Nebraska, whichever. Don't really want to go to either places anyways. No offense if you live in those places. 
before we go and wrap up, I do want to say um, thank you again for listening and for taking the time to check out our show. So if you like it, don't forget to follow us. Leave comments if there's anything that we missed or anything you want to share with us. Please tell us. We would love to hear what you guys think, anything we might have missed. Yeah, definitely. And check us out on our social medias, all at Horror, Wine, and Crime. And our website, horrorwineandcrime.com. Um, yeah, we got another great story coming for you next week, too. So keep an eye out for that. And real quick, sorry, totally forgot. Um, this time next week, we will be getting back from Motor City Nightmares. Oh, yes. We are going to... Go and meet Courtney Gaines. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we can have a little bit of an update of how he is as a you know person meeting him, any of the cool, fun things that we see at the show. But we're super excited to be going. I know. We're going to see so many cool things. And hopefully we have some cool stories to share also. And uh, if you guys go, please share stories. Um Maybe look for us. Maybe we'll have one of our shirts on. And, uh, yeah. Stop by, say hi, send us an email of whatever you, your experience there. We'd love to share it. Yes, definitely. Stay in touch. We want to be connected with uh, anything going on with you guys and in the horror and crime world. So definitely keep it, keep it up with that. On that note, we've got to go. Stay creepy.